This is the one with the absolute zenith of creativity. Shelley's alleged assignation in the adjacent chalet. Lots of hard banging on the door. Invisible hands rattling the knob. And ghosts? It's called The Haunting of Villa Diodalti. Here we go! Whistle on our epic phrase. All through time and all through space. Whistle being an angel's hair. Dalek cyber zoo and wow! Counting Sonic's rating apps. From the poor to the sublime. Echoes and Whitaker. Let's agree it's about time. Who back when? Reviewing on you who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes, please. Rose and Donna. Amy Pond. Rory Clara. And beyond. Join, Join us on this side to see what other choice could there be. But who back when? Who back when? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to yet another flabbergasting episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or Docpast, I hear. Yes, indeed. <laughs> this is episode N163, The Haunting of Villa Diodati. Who I? And haunting your earballs tonight. I'm not going to beat around the bush and take you behind a perception filter. It's me, Drew Back When, and opposite me, oh, it's Leon. Oh, you're talking about me? Hello. Hello, Drew. Hello, podcast land. How are you? Well, since we're recording this on Tuesday, my vital signs betray a heightened state of anxiety, which should make for hilarious <laughs> fun. We, well, yes, indeed. Let's hope. So, high level? Haunting? Diodati? Villa? Of? The? <laughs> Damn, I missed one. <laughs> All rad? Pretty good. Somewhat rad. Yeah, Podcast Land, you're in for a really boring episode because uh, we were saying before pressing record, this is a solid episode. <laughs> what are we going to pick apart? Oh, we can still have a bit of bants while we lord this episode, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, what do we poke at that's flimsy enough for us to just laugh our way to the ratings i don't know we'll Well, figure it out okay i just want to make one note though yes we are as of this moment yes one ninth or tenth doctor series away from catching up 13 (laughs) episodes one series that's wait really yep that's insane bananas and once this episode is over we'll be a capaldi series away right easy yep so close yeah we can do this Mm. well let's do this let's Time for us to synopsize, lobify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brief and listen to this overview. This free for all we like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who? Doc and the fam have reached the let's dress up and meet some famous authors stage of deliberately avoiding dealing with your mysterious backstory. And with Shakespeare's labours lost to a previous series, it's the turn of Mary Shelley and Frankenstein to waste some time. So our needlessly many heroes rock up at Lake Geneva in 1816, the year without a summer. But to their chagrin, it seems our literary squadron are equally intent on dancing around the subject. Doc is fearful Mary may not be inspired to begin her novel on this dark and stormy night. But relax, Doc. Things are about to get modern Prometheus AF. No one knows where Percy Bysshe Shelley lurketh, Byron has designs on being a total cad with Mrs. Doctor, and the house has a habit of transmogrifying into a labyrinthine nightmare. And to cap it all, it appears a traveller from across time and space has set his sights on making this soiree at the Villa Diodati a night to remember. Miscarver! Thou art welcome. <laughs> Aren't ye just... <laughs> Yeah, that sounds great. Thanks for listening, Podcast Land. Catch us next no, time. No, no, no. You've told me that you have three or maybe even four opening questions. I believe I said I have six. Oh, wow. Right. News to me. 
Hold on to your britches, my dear fellow. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, can we start with something pretty basic? And I really want to preface all of this by saying I... Spoilers, I freaking love this episode. Freaking love. Like, freaking. I, wow. I don't. I'm not the kind of chap to throw a freaking around willy nilly. <laughs> I freaking love this episode. So, I'm looking in Leon's <laughs> eyes, Podcast Land, and there's nothing but sincerity. Exactly. <laughs> but I do have a question. Yeah. And that is, is. Why. Hmm. Oh, which word to start with? Why interfere with this night of all nights if they can't risk changing history and this story specifically? Why would you interfere with this night? Let's say, for example, before you answer this, let's say, for example, you are traveling with the dog, you are part of the fam, and you're like, you know what, wouldn't it be great to see something truly game-changing, something that it was lightning in a bottle, it was something that that just changed the rules of whatever sphere it was. In this case, fiction, Yeah, it might be science, it might be medicine, yeah. Let's say, for example, you go, hmm, I really want to be witness to the eureka moment, just the discovery of displacement of water. I want to see that. You go there. <laughs> Are you not Nice gonna... Archimedes reference, yeah. by the way. Are you not going to risk messing things up? Archimedes decides not to get in the bath because he doesn't want to bathe in front of strangers. And consequently, <laughs> yeah. when you travel back to your relative present, everyone's like, what do you mean, displacement of water? <laughs> Surely it just... <laughs> you occupy the same space. I don't understand what's happening. And then everything implodes on itself because nothing makes sense. So why would you do this? It seems incredibly risky. Yes, there are conflicting forces at work. Either it's a fixed point as hell, and they have latitude to mess with it. Or the Doctor doesn't know what she's talking about, and half an hour in, she'll be like, history is vulnerable tonight. (laughs) Guess we shouldn't have rocked up, but it's a good thing we did. Wow, that's fortunate. Good old TARDIS, always knowing where we need to be. Uh, that is another thing that kind of struck me during this e- this evening. I watched this last night, and I was... This is such a lovely episode to watch in the evening. Mm-hmm. Because it turns your evening into this evening of theirs. Anyway, as I was watching this, they go there, yada, yada, yada. She's talking about the zenith of creativity, and she opens the doors, and everything's just a, a little bananas. Mm-hmm. Made me think of... Anyway, yeah, we'll get to it. Jeeves and Worcester. A little overwrought, perhaps. Well, certainly, yeah. And... I was I was wondering, wouldn't she think, oh, fuck, we've already caused this. We've already ruined... Nah. The Doctor's no? been in enough historical scenarios to realise we were basically there all along. So the second I conceived the notion of turning up there, I will already have been about to have turned up there. Or whatever Douglas Adams-ian tense you choose to apply to that thought process. She's like, we'll get to the end. The future past four, I believe. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get to the end, and I'm just sorry I didn't think of it earlier. But hey, I've never had more companions to enjoy it with, so I suppose... That is true. In a utilitarian sense, yeah. Maximising the good. Okay, yeah. Right, well, that was one of the quandaries that I faced. Okay. Do with it what you will. Do you want to pong my ping? Good question, because this episode being so solid, it's tricky to know where to begin. Let's talk screaming. Oh, interesting. you just reviewed, with Jim, Time of the Rani. Yes, indeed. And I may or may not have watched all of that in its entirety for no reason at all. (laughs) Anyway. Except for the enjoyment of Classic Who. Absolutely, in the Seventh Doctor. There were three screams in this episode. Uh Uh-huh. This creepy as... 
gothic to the max haunted house cyber body horror nightmare orama three screams which ones were they these are all the ones i counted i'm sure kieran will tell us about those we missed after the episode (laughs) there was one where mary shelley finds the skull and the skeleton hand instead of baby william yes yeah the second was when elise is found in the chest by the lone cyberman sure yeah and the third is the lone cyberman himself after he's been repelled by shelley back to some point elsewhere in the house it's more of a yell but it's as close to a scream as a cyberman will ever get I wouldn't have called that one. The Lone Cyberman seems not like the screaming kind, more like the potentially roar. He's never... Oh, in... a roar, that's it. Yeah. It's a roar. He, he's never in peril. He is, however, often frustrated. Yes, yes. Okay, a yell of frustration. So we have two screams in this house full of early 19th century ladies. Oh, yes. He might expect to grow hysterical, at least you would have if you'd been writing this episode in the 80s. What a contrast. I know. Yeah. We don't have a house full of Mel B's yeah. in this case. Who she stubs a toe, scream. Yeah, exactly. Who constantly needs to be rescued by a man. Mm. In this case, not at all. No, we have some Yeah, no, like the entire ancillary cast, I think possibly with the exception of Byron. <laughs> Who hides behind Claire Claremont. That's true, yeah. Everyone but Byron is incredibly capable. Yeah. Even even Bish, even old uh, PBS, who's hiding in the cellar, not a cellar, is incredibly... Even though he is hiding, I mean, he is incredibly capable because he's the one hauling everything together. Yeah, he's warping reality around them. Exactly. And even when Byron is at his most incapable or unmanned, should we say... He is still cracking wise from behind the woman he's cowering. Yeah, exactly. Mary is constantly gung-hoing. Claire, at one point, flicks Byron on the foreskin. Everything, like, <laughs> it, it is, everyone is super capable. You know what? Even, possibly my favourite, the butler. Oh, Fletcher. Fletcher, thank you. I did not registered his name. He it, it might be my favourite, in fact. With the constant eye rolling. That's so- <laughs> So the best eye rolling I've ever seen yeah. <laughs> in a Doctor Who series <laughs> episode. Damn it. <laughs> it works both ways. When he looks back at the Doctor when she's just, maybe it's even the zenith of creativity line. Yes. And he's like, I know what's behind this door. And then he opens it. It's such a beautiful few seconds. Yeah. That and one other eye roll are contenders for my favourites. The other one being when there is a knock on the door, it's Doc and the fam behind the scenes knocking on the door. Yeah. And Byron just goes, have you seen my schlong? I am the one to go and answer this call. Yeah. I'm the one to slap the devil in the face. (laughs) Should (laughs) old Nick himself be there? (laughs) And... Fletcher? Was it Fletcher? Yeah. Fletcher just goes, oh, my words. The things that get you laid nowadays. Mm. What a chap. We're perilously close yes. to our favourite part segment. Oh. Keeping this going. <laughs> <laughs> I had two favourite parts in this episode. Yeah. Both of which involved the Lone Side Man. Right. Well, that's appropriate. The first was when he ripped the top off the chest when Elise is there and she's saying in French, please stop crying, you little fucking (laughs) idiot. You're going to get us both killed. Why the (laughs) fuck did she have this baby at all? And then, wow, there he is. And I didn't expect it. I expected there to be a cut and for us to see him 
from the outside, but no, you were in there with them, experiencing the full horror of, oh shit, we've been discovered! <laughs> I liked it. And the second, and I'm sure we'll talk more about this later, is when Mary's attempting to appeal to his humanity and just finds nasty all the way down within his complete lack of soul. Well, yes, that's a good scene. I would also say, similarly, when Doc and the Lones... What's his name? Ashad? When Doc and Ashad meet up, Uh and they have a little tete-a-tete, in which he also reveals a little bit of his inner psychology, but she, more so than at least for the majority of her run, proves herself incredibly doctor-like. Ah. She's just so confident. She's just so, I know that this intellectual property is going to persevere. You can't (laughs) kill me, Ashard. It's really strong stuff. Mm. And Whittaker is tremendous. I would call that scene out specifically as, wow, I'm adoring her on screen here. Cool. Yeah. I think, oh dear, this is the flip side of the favourite parts. Here we go, here we go. The only way from here is down. Go for it. I will unzip. (laughs) (laughs) That scene stands in contrast to when he has stuck his hand out the window to harvest the power of the lightning itself. And she describes exactly what's going on, exactly what we can all see. Yeah. As well as saying, oh, have you ever considered a breath mint? Which is one of the lamest undercutting maneuvers in script writing to date. I had forgotten about that line, and yes, you're right, that is one shit line. That is very underwhelming. I do enjoy the lightning bolt, though. Mm -hmm. Because we do need... We are looking for references to Frankenstein, right? Yeah. So it's nice... Ah! I didn't even... I didn't make that connection! Oh my goodness, (laughs) what a twat! So I, I like that that's happening. However, you know what? What? Mary is not privy to it. Mary does not know that he gets struck by lightning, so it's nice that we have this reference, but it's not something that is helping inspire her story. Yeah, she just has to think back to how much lightning there was in total that evening. The overwhelming sense of lightning, pervasive, whatever. I've just thought of another introductory question that I had not written down beforehand. Ooh, I better ask it me quick. Does this take something away from the actual night? That legendary night in the Villa Diodati when when they are all inspired. Byron inspires them to tell stories to one another, and at least in his company. She is inspired to write Frankenstein to follow. Polidori is inspired to write Vampire. Does this not take something away from that? Well, I think it takes something away from Polidori, because I didn't realise that he was, A, that he was a writer, B, that he wrote Vampire. So I confess I had to look him up as well. And I did not realize that he had written Vampire. Vampire, V-A-M-P-Y-R-E, has nothing to do with Dracula, has nothing to do with any of the story that you and I may be familiar with, that most of Podcast Land will be familiar with. But it is a vampire story and is considered one of the initial vampire stories. One of the foundational texts. Yes, exactly. Of vampirism. And it's sort of, it's these two stories that are... Clearly, the seminal works that have come out of this evening. Because, yeah, Byron will have... He will have told some little ditty, and then he'll probably have wanked himself to sleep. But, in general, it's not something that we remember (laughs) him for. He has a whole body of work outside of this evening. But the fact Uh, that... Part of which he gets to narrate at the end. Yes. So, that's another example of this. So, he narrates it at the end, and it seems very clearly that this episode insinuates is about the Doctor. Yeah, that's his eulogy to Mrs. Doctor, the one that got away. Yeah. 
So does that not also maybe take something away from it? There's not a whole reality behind these works of art. His poem, her novel, Polidori's novella. This is a much broader question than just this. Whenever Doctor Who rocks up at historical event, other than Rosa, because they sort of left that entirely to her own bravery. Yeah, that's still her. That, that is, still, is her. still her. But otherwise, it's like, does it enrich? Does it add a cool extra layer that we all know is fictional? And it will just remind us of the inherent greatness of the participants? Yeah. Or does it seem cheap and cashing in on other people's fame? Yeah, I slash undoing their... Yeah, that, I think that's probably the right answer. <laughs> it's a very subjective thing. So depending on where you stand on this, and perhaps depending on whether you are a a fan of said, let's face it, celebrity, whoever it might be, it might be a scientist, it might be an artist, does this, how does this affect it? Yeah, and how much do you know about it going in? Because this is Doctor Who, it has this educational impulse behind it, it's appealing to young children. I feel like Mary Shelley has come out of it very well, because kids might go off and read Frankenstein, go, might That's go true. and watch Frankenstein. Yep. Polidori has come out of it incredibly badly. He's just a present doctor from history. <laughs> like, the doctor could very easily... No, have... people, I reckon people don't know Polidori. I'm sorry to cut you off, but I reckon people don't know Polidori. I also would not have associated Polidori with anything, but because of this episode, I googled Polidori and went, oh yeah, so that's that guy who came up with that other Google search that I did like six months ago, and where <laughs> Vampire came up. I was like, alright, so that's the guy. I didn't realise that was the guy. Oh, maybe. But that's because we're reviewing the episode. I feel like most people watching this are just going to be like, oh, so he was just this physician who went around hoping to snag a lay from a particularly (laughs) effervescent quadrille that got a bit handsy. And there was absolutely no hint that he had any literary interests. No, that's true. That's true. And and she could so easily have introduced it at the same time, just part of the sentence where she's talking about Mary Shelley and also Polidori is great as and Claremont by the way and Claremont maybe someone could point out that Claire Claremont also wrote yes I'm learning all the time it's such a lovely thing where throughout history there are a few little pockets of little cliques here and there Uh where every member of said clique is incredibly creative incredibly prolific and or even if they're not prolific, they have produced something that is of tremendous value to mankind, to culture, to human culture. Yeah. And it's, it's an astonishing concentration of talents. It's flummoxing sometimes to think that someone who created something that has profoundly affected you as a person was just mates with someone else who also created something that profoundly affected you as a person. That's that's right. absurd to me. I remember walking... Sorry, this is such a tangent, but I remember walking through Manhattan and like I'd done a little map where like I need to go and look at that house, I need to look at that house because that's where that writer wo- lived and that's where that writer lived and yada, yada, yada. And I remember walking down one street and looking at a house and, and looking at my phone where my list was and going, oh yeah, so there were these six or seven writers who whom I read probably when I was a teenager who... All, like, Kerouac was among them, and Ginsberg was among them. Like, all these writers who have kind of created an epoch, and they were flatmates because <laughs> they were broke. Yeah, You can do the same in London, where you walk down some of the side streets off Holloway Road. I remember doing a Douglas Adams walk, and you're like, I want to see all the houses where Douglas Adams lived. Yeah, The exact same thing happens, by the way, in relation to Abbey Road Studios. I just watched the documentary if these walls could sing and it talks about nice in the 60s how jimmy page was just the session musician on everything and elton john was also there and mick jagger was in the audience and they were just 
all in this exact same space, yeah. constantly collaborating. Everybody famous was somehow everywhere at once. That is some of the most amazing stuff. Like, just to imagine that social constellation is mind-boggling to me. I get yeah. the same thing when I watch the film Capote, because I had no idea that Capote was also friends with all these other people who also wrote incredible stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, and you think, holy shit, you were all buddies. And the same thing happens here. <laughs> Yeah. It's just Salon has to penetrate somehow a wider consciousness that yeah. then perpetuates throughout history somehow. Exactly, yeah. With more and more artistic references back to it. Yeah, and, and so somehow after this massive tangent, I do apologise, but somehow after this massive tangent, I do kind of want to bring it back to say it's not just Byron and not just Mary in Byron. What's his name? George something. In this house, it's... A whole bunch of people, and I bet you people watching this episode when it aired went, all right, hang on, I'm going to Google the Villa Diodati, and then they went, fuck, this is true! <laughs> or they went, "Who? who's Polidori? Who's Mary Shelley? Who's Claire Claremont? Who's Percy Bysshe Shelley? Okay, people know Percy Bysshe Shelley, but you know what I mean. Like, I bet you this opened a good few eyes, and that is another massive plus point for this episode. Mm-hmm. Overall, yeah. But like I say, I was coming away from it Mostly ignorant, just knowing what I knew before. It's my fault for not Googling, but Google a lot of things. Like, that's the point of Google. <laughs> that's Google's raison d'etre. I've got more introductory questions if you're interested. Let's hear them. That can take us in a different direction. How about this one? Siberium, comma, what? In Terabang? Oh, yes. Yes. At some point in the future, given the, I know, Moore's Law, everything can eventually be shoehorned into something MacGuffin-sized, <laughs> right? <laughs> Why slash... No, wait, what? <laughs> That's my question, what? <laughs> this is just Cyber Wikipedia. That's all a Siberium is. Okay. Why is it on the lamb? And well, how did it end up on Earth? That, I hope, will be answered in the following two-parter. Is oh, yeah, this okay. part one of a three-parter? Who cares? Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, maybe. Right. Yeah. That is for a future episode to answer. And Fair. if it doesn't, then... then Shame on them. Yeah, at some yeah. point we're like, okay, this fell down. But for now, it's a hook. It's yeah. a mystery. Did you feel that you got enough of this mystery? Were you hooked enough by the Siberium? That it doesn't want to associate with the lone Cyberman is a pretty weird mystery. Mm. That it then does concede, surrender to him equally, which I think maybe is more of a plot hole. It seems mobile. It's floating around in the air. It's a self-propelling a good gas. Yeah. Like, if it has control over its physical state, can it just go invisible? I be one of my questions actually was if this all powerful relative to the cyber race AI has all the cyber knowledge, then how come it doesn't know whether the lone Cyberman is bluffing? when he's calling out to his ship and saying, <laughs> I have the power to destroy this Earth and break it into its constituent molecules. Surely the AI yeah. knows whether he's taking you for a ride or not. This is a fantastic question that I had not considered. Yeah, it ought to. Yeah. It absolutely this is, ought this to. This is straight out of the Cyberman playbook. It doesn't matter what page. The Siberian knows it all. And combined with the Doctor's intelligence on top of that, that's like, as in last week's episode, hooking up the Sonic to a TARDIS. It can crack the uncrackable. 
What's the Matt Smith one? Something in Nightmare in Silver? With Mr. Clever. Where he gets cyberds. Yeah. He gets Lucutius of Borged. He gets Mr. Clever, is what he gets. He gets Mr. Clever. No, I refuse to acknowledge that. He gets Lucutius of Borged. And <laughs> now he is part of the, I guess, Siberian. <laughs> like, he's, he's connected mm. to it. He's got a, an entry in CyberWiki. Surely, yeah. So maybe not at this advanced stage from whence it has been propelled back through time from the very, very distant future. Oh, okay, that is tr- that's true. They're a hive mind in a sense, right? They have a collective intelligence. Yeah, I don't know what's I know them and what's the, the Borg. Same... <laughs> I'm sure various episodes have botched and played with. How does Doc being... I was going to say infected, but that's, that's certainly not the right word, is it? Like, yeah, how does Doc being somehow integrated with the mm. Siberium compared to Mr. Clever? <laughs> is that a well, fair question? That, does no, that no, make hang sense? On, hang on. Mr. Clever was trying to take over more and more of Matt Smith's brain, wasn't it? It was like a chess match where the control of the board equated to the brain acreage which matt smith was clinging on to i think it was a real land war in there so it's completely different to here where the siberium is like okay that clearly didn't work i've learned from my mistakes being a good ai so i'm gonna partner with the doctor this time but yeah then why doesn't the doctor know everything exactly because presumably the lone cyberman was bluffing or the smart thing to have done would have just been to teleport off world back to his ship and blow up the earth anyway because the doctor clearly knows too much so fry her ass yeah and everybody else is who you've said you don't care about yeah exactly sure you have you have the siberium is that reason enough to ignore all other risks no no absolutely not now that the doctor is an enemy again i think the siberian would be on board with annihilating her (laughs) (sighs) hey But that is nitpicky. But that's what we're here for. We're just step two, trying to fix the mess Doctor Who created in step one. (laughs) Right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's That's, right. That's that's absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Any other introductory questions? Any other avenues we might take this? Thasmin. Thasmin? Yes. 13 Yasmin. For all those people shipping these two out there. Interesting. Thasmin. We we can finally start our Thasmin tracker. (laughs) Yes, that's true. Yeah. If anyone was wondering, Podcastland, mark your calendars. This is where it started. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Because we have been keeping an eagle eye out up to date. Absolutely. And we've banged on about it. Didn't happen this episode. Didn't happen this episode. Any pointers prior to this had to be worked up into an inference hinting at an intimation out of absolutely nothing. And here, you don't have to do that. It's not well i suppose it's quite subtle were it to be in isolation you might be like oh where was that going and in hindsight it's much clearer so yeah i think this is the very first instance right it's either the first instance or it's the first possible instance (laughs) of a reference to yaz harboring feelings more so for the doc than for someone else she even sort of admits to claire claremont that the doctor is in her mind her person Oh, right. Oh, sorry. No, you're... Yeah, that's way more blatant and to to the point. Yeah. First of all, she says, I know someone like that. Someone who's an enigma who you would like to... That's the bit I remember. Get to know more. Yeah, yeah, that's the bit I remember. And then she says, my person's a bit different. 
And I'm like, oh, <laughs> right. Uh, okay, I do remember that line as well, actually, but I read something else into it. Not, she's my person. It's more, she is a person, and I'm talking about her. Yeah, and Claire does says this enigmatic person of yours. So she, she is already yeah. using the word person. Yeah. But this enigma is the one who Yaz has apparently tried asking. Oh, I know someone like that. Or I know someone who, were I to ask her, it would, I wouldn't get anywhere. Wait, wait, I, I were I to ask, ask her, her what? Were I to ask her what? It's now just a Claire situation. Yaz says you could try asking Byron about his true sentiments for you rather than trying to get them out of his letters. Wow, I missed this entirely. I must have been, oh. ri- I must have been writing, in, in quote, Yaz's first possible reference to hovering feelings for Doc while that line was happening on screen. That's amazing. That's unmistakably what is happening in that mm. case. Yeah. First time. Yeah, you're right. Raise a beaker to that podcast land, Andrew and me. <laughs> yeah. And while not wanting to undercut that because we've been waiting for it for so long, mm. this is in the block of series 12. Why hasn't there been like, a slightly more subtle hint before now? I think possibly they only just had the idea. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe they thought that, well, okay, maybe they thought at this point, because pre-pandemic, they were going to get a full series 13, 10 episodes, whatever. They thought that will be plenty of time. That's super A series and a bit to build up a relationship between Yaz and the Doctor. Yep. We've explored whatever they thought they've explored to date with the companions. And yeah, plenty of time left. So maybe the pandemic did make that seem a little more rushed and misjudged than it in fact was. So when was this? Oh, this aired, yeah, 16th of Feb 2020. Wait, hang on. When did they find out that this season was going to be shorter? Series 13 was the one that ended up shorter. Oh, that was 13. the one that ended up as just Flux. Oh, I see. I see, Flux I see, I see. Plus lots of awkward romantic will they, won't they developments. Right, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, sorry, that makes perfect sense. A milestone step for yeah. these two. Certainly for Yaz. Rather than a piece of wordplay that maybe got called back to 15 episodes later, which I think has been the level we've been operating on. Uh, uh, certainly. Yeah. Yes. No, this is unmistakably a decision on the part of the, the showrunner and the production crew going on the BBC. And Mandip Gill. As you mean the character? I mean, the actress playing the character has left this open today. She has said subsequently that I played it in such a way that we could go in this direction. Okay, I didn't, I didn't know that. However, okay, I don't, I don't want to take anything away from Mandip Gill, but it seems to me like something that is, frankly, out of any actor's hands. This is probably something that is decided by the showrunner slash the various writers who are kind of answering to the showrunner who himself is answering to the BBC. And in the editing room. Yeah, certainly. So it's nice, and she does a great job, and that's a lovely scene, and her performance is wonderful, and it's incredibly heartwarming, but I don't think that the choice of where to take this character or that character dynamic is necessarily in her hands, or in Whittaker's hands, or in any actor's hands, you know, it's... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but she didn't close off the possibility. She was like, oh, what? No. Yeah, but the thing is, if she had done that, then someone would have yelled, <laughs> Cart, listen, Yaz, that's not <laughs> yeah, your name, yeah, yeah. Mandip, there are lines in the script, you are paid to read them. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to ad-lib, great, but only if it's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If it doesn't go against the m- big plan. so mm. it, The five-year plan. Yeah, that's the only reason I'm sort of hedging... Yeah, you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah sure, sure. I'm not trying to take anything away from anyone. 
Ping my pong, will ya? Fine, if you insist. Okay, I'll go easy. Is Doc so suggesting? <laughs> no, no, I, I want to <laughs> save. I want to save another one for later. Okay. Is Doc suggesting that PBS needs to live in order for Ryan's future to happen? When they're in the not yeah. the basement. Yeah. Save the poet, save the universe, as opposed to save the cheerleader, save the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which Abby nice. pointed out. Very nice. Yeah. Abby, please join the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll hear more from Abby later. <laughs> oh, excellent. I look forward to it. It is asked to do a lot of work this possibly false equivalence isn't it yeah this is the doctor's reason for for all of it for the entire shebang yeah and for this monologue which i've been waiting for the stratosphere monologue which i did not remember as being part of this episode i thought it took place in the tardis for some reason defective memory (laughs) the command structure actually isn't flat it's mountainous. I'm on the summit in the stratosphere. I did think it was a bit much. Yeah. I thought it was a bit over the top. This is the thing that sprang to mind is one of your favorite episodes Kill the Moon. Oh, what? How <laughs> dare you? <laughs> one of my favorite episodes to <laughs> shit on. Podcast Land, if you haven't listened to the Kill the Moon review, please do because the <laughs> Andrew is priceless in it. Yeah, in which. Capaldi kind of does the he, he does the same but then he takes the opposite direction mm. he also says yeah. I'm always faced with exactly this kind of thing and then he goes fuck you guys you make up your minds and yeah. then he leaves yeah, if, she you're does so great, exactly- and you, if you're so great and you can decide who comes into the TARDIS exactly. and you're basically seeing yourself as a mini doctor well <laughs> let's take off the stabilizers yeah exactly yeah, yeah. yeah this is her equivalent to that particular speech Oh, putting it next to that, even in Kill the Moon, which I didn't like, it's... Uh, yeah. Yeah, could have done with a, a polish. You're probably right. I wasn't a huge fan of it when it came up in this episode in general, but you're probably right. By comparison, it does require a writer's room. Yeah, I like the sentiment. Obviously, I want to see untold depths within the Doctor that they can access to give the companions something to learn <laughs> as much as anything a reason to be traveling with her yeah, rather certainly. than just for hedonistic touristic reasons but it is such a contrast with what came before there has to be some gray area between completely equal and i'm out of sight because you've got to ground one in the other. The character falls in between the extremes. Oh. But anyway, your question was about does Shelley need to play out entirely as Shelley for his entire time? Otherwise, Ryan somehow won't be born, yeah? Yeah, and also, like, bear in mind, Shelley is going to die at 29, and he now, at the end of this episode, knows that he is going to die at 29, and exactly how and when and everything. He has the power to undo that. He has the power to just go, I'm not going to get out on that boat. Oh, no, no, because it doesn't... Wait, what does he see? At the end, Doc goes, the only way for me to get the Siberium to get the heck out of Bish is to transpose him to the moment of his death. Yep. Which, by the way, what? In Terrabang? So that means he now knows exactly how and when and where and yada 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 he will die. 
At the end, he even says, I know, and I'm going to live every day as though it were my last. Uh, but I asked you what... what Good exactly... thing it's only like a few years, Shelley. <laughs> I asked you what exactly he sees. He doesn't see a calendar. He doesn't see himself stepping off a dock. He knows he's drowning. Captain... He's no. He knows he's going to drown. So you know what? If I were in his shoes, I would just never go near a shore. <laughs> so so okay, the second the doctor pulls her, her mind meld out of him, he's like, shit, we're right next to a lake. I've got to go to yeah. the middle of the desert right now. Yeah, you bet your ass that dudes is going to be landlocked henceforth. If I were <laughs> old bishop and someone told me you're going to drown probably soon, I would go, no, I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm not. There's a very easy way for me to, to forego this pleasure. I'm in Switzerland. It's landlocked in itself. It's got a bunch of lakes. No problem. Close to a bunch of countries without lakes. Fuck you. Fuck everyone. Fuck drowning. I'm going to go somewhere. I'm going to live in the mountains. Do you know what the mountains don't have? Water. Lakes. <laughs> drowning. Screw you. Yeah. yeah. P.S. What's a Time Lord? You look human. <laughs> are you a Time Lord? Who are Time Lords? Where are Time Lords from? What the fuck was this electronic man? Yeah. By the way, is nobody else asking these questions? Yeah, the thing is, like, does anyone think that PBS is just going to go about his remaining years as though nothing happened? That's redonk. No, PBS is profoundly changed by this night. He has been inhabited by some sort of alien AI that he thinks probably is supernatural. He's met monsters. He's changed the layout of a house. He knows he's going to drown. He is very changed. And from this point on actual PBS went on to write shit. Mm -hmm. Do you think this dude is going to write the same shit? No, it's going to be very different. And consequently, it seems Ryan is going to be different because everything that makes up Ryan's reality and all the circumstances that enable his reality are contingent upon PBS just being PBS. But fuck off everyone because PBS ain't got no time for that shit. They could have maybe... Really upset, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Not without cause. They could maybe have hinted at when Byron is talking... I don't know when. Later. He's produced... His third canto, maybe, and or something that he is reciting for the first time. Like enough time has passed between the main action and the coda for Byron to have composed and perfected, and now be delivering a liter- new literary work. Would it have been better if they said, "Okay, we clearly all experienced this. There's no better quartet, more qualified in the world, to describe this <laughs> evocatively and spread the news far and wide." But we won't. We won't because, A, no one will believe us. We're romantics. People are already on the fence about us. Like, we're going to lose our fans. Like, we can't do this because <laughs> otherwise our precarious hold on the literary zeitgeist will be lost. So, so we're going to keep it secret. We're going to commit to keeping this between us. Does that help in any way? Is that any kind of justification? I mean, very slightly. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> No, I bet you <sighs> Percy is thinking, wait, I just got a great idea for a short story. Or I'm going to write... I, I'm well, Mary now, is, apparently. I'm now in the mindset to write a, a poem about what I'm feeling right now. And none of it is going to tally with what he otherwise would have written. So something else needs to hold him back or course correct him. And what is that going to be? Yeah. I think, though, that they left it pretty vague. They had to trick the Siberium into believing its host was dying. Yeah. Which, okay, question marks. But 
if it's relying on his perception, the Siberian would would wonder. Oh, I must have dozed off for a second there because suddenly we're this dude is dr- drowning. Yeah, suddenly yeah. we're submerged. I don't remember what led to this point, but his senses wouldn't lie. I don't know anything about perception filters. <laughs> Fair point. But they do keep it very vague. They don't have him stepping off the dock with the captain saying, Good afternoon, Mr. Shelley. It's 1822 now, and we're off departing from the port of blah blah to the safe harbour of Badurbada. And your boat is in, in your fine boat, which you ordered a few months before and is called XYZ, is, yeah. is in fine fettle and condition, and I'm sure we, we won't meet with any mishaps. And oh, look, there's a big storm coming. I'm sure it'll be fine when we're in between Italy and Libya like this. These are merely passing squalls. <laughs> none of that happens. You just see a very impressionistic sort of, oh, it's wet. Oh, this hand is limp. Like, yeah, but he is also taken to the moment of his death. So anyone, Percy Bysshe Shelley and anyone who Wikipedias him will know exactly <laughs> what he experienced in that moment. I think that it's not even specific what kind of body of water it is, whether it's a lake, whether it's a river, whether it's a sea. Yeah, but that's not a problem. As long as it doesn't fit into a glass, he would be staying away from it. (laughs) Or it's a particularly murky bathtub in in the middle of a greenhouse, perhaps, with trailing fronds. Exactly. This dude is all about showers, henceforth. (laughs) (laughs) And he doesn't care about going back to England, because that's across the channel. So that's denied to him forevermore. Maybe he'd be willing to take a chance. I don't know. If the doctor says this is how it's going to happen, you can't do anything about it. He's like, oh, well, okay. Well, if I can't do anything about it, then I guess I'll just be fatalistic about it because that's the definition. (laughs) Percy Bish? Fine with the definition. (laughs) (laughs) Good stuff. Do you want to pong my ping or shall I ask you another question? Because I just thought of another one. I I don't think I really answered your question. The idea that the six years of literary output Percy Bysshe Shelley has yet to produce will somehow be the difference between Ryan Yaz and Graham living or dying. It doesn't seem like a particularly crucial hinge point of history. No, I agree with you. But well, that's why odd, you asked me the question. But it's odd because Doc presents it as such. Yeah. And, and if it actually were so integral to the formation of our relative present, then surely she would not have taken them there in the first place. Dude. It'd be so great if we could just walk around in the primordial ooze. Oh, maybe we could just, like, <laughs> jump in there. Everyone bring their wellies. Yeah. No, no, just don't. Just stay away from it. <laughs> bring your wellies. Don't take a shower first, because the richer this ooze gets, the quicker this process eventually <laughs> is. Would it not have made a little more sense oh, yeah. for Mary Shelley to be the host of the Siberium and for her future literary output on the galvanized, reanimated man, the modern Prometheus, and the advances of science and all the ethical questions that have been raised and have been debated and dominated our scientific discourse ever since no small part in due to her story would not that be key to the development of the siberian our current society everything i completely agree with you i think in general she deserved a more central role in this story than she received it's interesting to note that ryan is really the one who inspires her to return to writing here well ryan's got to be given something to do 
it's only thanks to that one brief interlocution that they have with the piano that it's a very cheesy scene. He's playing whatever, blah, 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 blah. He's playing chopsticks. Bingo. Didn't grow up in this country. So, <laughs> oh, I didn't. So he's, he, they're at the piano, they're chatting a little bit, yada, 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 yada. And he talks about his gran. So we get that. It's a nice callback to where this era began. And also, thanks to that callback and thanks to his chat with her, she is inspired. And he calls back to it later on at the end of the episode as well. He's yeah. like, oh, give that writing another go. It's only thanks to him, really, that she goes on to write... Frankenstein. That's amazing. Well, that calls back to your question of 40 minutes ago. Like, does it not cheapen everything massively? Yes, it does. That she relied on Ryan's two callbacks rather than everything else that she experienced that night and all the inspiring visuals and plot developments that somehow Ryan can claim any measure of credit for this. Yeah. So, So if you're already going to take something away from her, namely her imagination, and basically just say, Mary Shelley just recounted bits of that one night that the Doctor made happen in front of her or that some alien made happen in front of her, at the very least involve her in that. Why isn't... She does have a conversation with him. Yes. For a brief moment, but it's a very brief conversation. It is brief, but the episode stops to allow it to happen. And it does also chime with Frankenstein quite well in that the monster craves to be listened to and heard and understood. Yeah. And that that is Mary Shelley's impulse to offer him that would seem to offer insight into the subsequent story super weirdly i was in a zoom chat just a few days ago with a friend of mine who said i just read frankenstein you have to read it Mm. yeah and i've just ordered it i still have tabs open on my computer from abe books to get frankenstein i did get i I have another tab open for vampire i'm curious but anyway there must be plenty of impulses that led to her writing this story which are not contingent upon a fucking Cyberman showing up or Doc and Fam showing up. So mm. I think this kind of also goes back... Sorry, this is all super circular, but it all goes back to this is massively taking away from the artist. Yeah, yeah, I see it. It's like, oh, Agatha Christie. Hang on, let's have another Agatha Christie episode and this time she's on a train and there are 12 people and they all murdered a dude together. <laughs> Great! <laughs> it's a good thing she wasn't in Mummy on the Orient Express. Isn't she clever? No, she's not. She just retold exactly what the Doctor made happen in front of her. Yeah, and yeah, that's do you what know I mean? what? On top of that, she hadn't been about to write about it out of deference to her parents' superior authorial talents until this random dude gave her a couple of bookends of encouragement. Yeah. Had it not been for Doc, there would have been a lot of tomfoolery on the living room floor. Yeah. Yeah, there would. Yeah. Fletcher is so discreet. Fletcher's great. I love Fletcher. I love Fletcher so much. This made me, I think I might have said it before, but that whole scene where, oh, it's the zenith of creativity, that made me think of Jeeves and Worcester, the Fry and Laurie TV adaptation of Jeeves and Worcester. Yeah. This is probably episode one. If it's not episode one, it's episode two. It's early on in the show mm-hmm. where they're like, let's go to, oh shit, what's the club called? Drones? It's Drones. Okay. That's the name of the gentleman's club where, where Worcester is a member. Yeah. And they're like, oh, only the finest members of the aristocracy are in, are members of the drones and then they open the doors to the drones club and they're like riding each other's shoulders and they're playing like children so, yeah, yeah, yeah no yeah. this is exactly like that oh, nice <laughs> all right can i take take this in a different direction go ahead why is the skeleton animated oh with the skeleton hands 
Yeah, and the skull that's in a glass jar, smiling and turning around. Oh, I didn't notice that. I noticed that the skull popped up in William's stead, obviously. But oh, yeah, yeah, that's never traced back to Percy slash Siberium. No, that's all, I think. No. It's one of my questions as well. Right. Skeleton hands. There's absolutely no way in which that would make him more visible were that his motive. Certainly not. It's just a horror trope. Yeah. It's hilarious, but it makes absolutely no sense. Yeah. And it's a shame because one of the standout moments is when Yaz and Claire have been having their conversation and the camera tilts up and shows the hand directly above Yaz on yes. the wall and suddenly you go full body tense like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. Although nothing comes of that, which is a shame. We also have the hand thing, the first yep. hand, possibly the only hand, I'm not sure, leap through a... So a, a painting falls down to the floor. Yes. Which we may be led to believe is PBS. As in, he's walking around going, I'm invisible, why can't anyone see me? And maybe he bangs against a frame or something and a painting falls down. Yeah, yeah. But then we get to see the thing fly through the canvas and walk along. Yeah. That's not him. No. And that's not even tied in with the ghosts. Yeah, that's another question, right? Does this episode posit that there are ghosts? <laughs> Which, by the way, I kind of like. Yeah, it doesn't not do that, and it's fine. On the subject of the hands, Doc specifically asks about the skeleton. Why just the hands? Why only parts? So that is a mystery the protagonist is asking us to consider, and the writer did not provide an answer. That is cheap. That is a minus. It's got to be. Yeah. I agree. And and had you tied it together with the maid and the daughter as just ghostly goings on? Like, if, I don't know, the hand had been on top of the maid's head and waving goodbye to Graham as he steps into the TARDIS and he feels a shiver and goes, then, <laughs> sure, then that's all part of the same thing. But it seems like this third other thing that is specifically not answered by itself. Yeah, and no one in the fam ever goes... Oh, yeah. Wait, hang on. We solved the conundrum of the cyber, uh, the lone cyberman. Do you remember when we took a cranium and we put it in a glass jar and it kept smiling at us and laughing inside of it and turning to look at us? Do you remember that, guys? (laughs) No one says anything. Yeah. Also, should we maybe go back to the house and say that this is just the start of the bumps in the night? For our Diodati crew. Yeah, congrats, guys. You live in a haunted house. You have rented a haunted property. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that had nothing to do with Bish. <laughs> Although I believe it might have been Bish's property. Did it, it, it was Byron's Relics of War. Oh, was it? No, the, no yeah, 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 that's true. But the property Oh, itself. Villa Diodati. Yeah. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, since you're not going to want to be seen down by the shoreline anytime <laughs> soon... Maybe just sell up entirely and let the next ten deal with <laughs> I might be mistaken, but yeah, oh, regardless, no. it is a haunted AF. <laughs> yeah. I have a few notes about the cast, but they all sort of add up to the fact that none of them have, or had before this episode aired, any credits of note. That's true. I looked, looked up every single one of them on IMDb as well and just went, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Mary, I was convinced Mary... Lily Miller, the actress, was from somewhere else, and I just wasn't placing her face. She looked so familiar to me. But this is one of three credits she has on IMDb, <laughs> and it's by far the beefiest role. The other Claire Claremont, a.k.a. Lips McGee, 
She has appeared in <laughs> Starstruck. <laughs> Wait, Lips McGee? Lips McGee. There is a point where <laughs> Byron says, you are the most baffling creature I've ever encountered. And yeah. you see her in profile, and it's full-on duck face. It, it's a quizzical expression. Right. And it's just they're just very prominent features of her face. That's oh, okay. how I consider her in my head. <laughs> I wanted to bring up, though, that she appears as young Livia in a TV series called Domina. About oh. Livia, the wife of Augustus, a.k.a. Ooh. A.k.a. one of I. Claudius's top, one of history's top <laughs> women. Like, I don't know where I'm going to see this, but I am super excited that there's a TV series about this personage. This even exists. Yes. Yeah. Yes, watch that and tell me if it's good, Podcast Land, because <laughs> the potential is amazing. But yeah, Maxim Baldry, he played Polidori. He recently played Isildur. I was going to say, yes. In the Rings of Power. Yeah, the Amazon series. Yeah, but that's after this. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But that seems like a big role. Oh, sure. He's going places. But the point was, was that there were no big names here at all. But you wouldn't have guessed. Like, everybody seemed very capable. Yeah, certainly. Lord Byron, he was a ham and a tosser from minute one to minute 50. Agreed. And, yeah, he was still sort of compelling and roguish and engaging and likable. Amidst all this arseholery. Like, They're all terrific, by the way. Yeah. Really, really good actors. Yeah, and they add so much richness to that first 25, 27 minutes before the Cyberman stuff really gets going. Yeah. It feels so dense, that part of the episode, because you have all the mysteries developing, but you also have all the characters playing off each other. They feel like a group of human people, rather than just, oh, and this is someone not quite as intelligent also following behind. Like There are dynamics there. And they all feel lived in, and it's really nice. Yeah, totally on board. And I kind of want to see more of these people now. They've proven themselves. I would like them to all go out and flourish. Yeah. And also, wasn't gossip a brilliant way of getting us through what would otherwise be the chewiest slab of expositional info dump. But because they all had so much joy in telling it in... To complete strangers during a dance when they're standing approximately 40 centimetres from one another. Yeah, and they don't really care if everyone else in the room hears. They're just living for the hot mess. Yeah, loved it. Yeah. Uh, Check off gossip dance from my list. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely loved it. It made you want to be in on it. It made you want to know rather than just be like, oh, this is what we have to know for it to be called back to later on. Also was legitimized it doesn't undercut any single character's opinions or values in any way they're all equally undone by it or equally amped up by it yeah and it was over in a minute and we have context yeah they're all messy bitches thirsty for drama and they are overjoyed that there are new people to share this drama with yeah which also makes sense because they've been cooped up in that house for ages fletcher doesn't give a shit and now it's like here are new vessels for all our most salacious tidbits don't know who you are which salons you frequent doesn't matter you're an unknown face let me fill it with news yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah, that's good stuff and if you want to roll around on the floor with us half an hour hence we're up for that absolutely yeah We talked about Frankenstein in passing. Yes. I watched the 1931 James Whale original Boris Karloff Frankenstein. Right, okay. As what? As preparation for this? Yeah, and just because I remember really liking it. That's a kind of dedication that keeps you on this show, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) And I found precious 
little your lightning bolt is as close as it gets I also went back to the original source material. The film is nothing like the book. The film is also I've not seen only, the film. Well, there are two films. There's Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein. And oh, it, right, okay. The first one, it could not be more different. I've not seen either, I should I'm not going to spoil it massively, but I expected more Frankenstein in this, and perhaps that would have been to further cheapen Mary Shelley's powers of imagination. Yeah. But like you said, she didn't see the lightning bolt. I expected there to be more direct homages, and they they just weren't. Can I bring up a bit of trivia? Oh, please. So let me just read this straight off. I'm going to say IMDb. I can't remember. The so, internet. Somewhere in the Siberian. In the Doctor Who audio dramas produced by Big Finish, Mary Shelley meets and briefly travels with, in brackets, i.e. is a companion of, the Eighth Doctor. Oh, cool. Maybe. In one of the, I don't know, in one of these stories, The Silver Turk hold for applause she also encounters a cyberman like in this episode the incident inspires her famous novel frankenstein right so mary shelley is a companion of the doctors of a prior doctors yeah so why wouldn't 13 remember this i don't know when oh well i mean when tv wants to claim something off big finish it supersedes it as canon. That's just the rules. Fine. Okay. That's A. Exhibit B. This has already been done before, in a sense. Potentially many times over, given that she is a recurring companion. Yes. Which seems like a big thing to ignore, by the way. Yeah. We've had Paul McGann on TV mention a whole bunch of companions as he's about to regenerate into the War Doctor. He never... I don't recall him going, and Mary, <laughs> Mary wants to crop Shelley. Like, I don't remember him saying that. But he might as well have. Yeah. Same universe. So anyway, so it's a bit weird. So I'm curious. Maybe we should review it. Oh, potentially. Yeah, why not? Yeah, why not? Let's do that after Redacted. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Let's do it. We've got to go somewhere Done. after Redacted. Done. Yeah, yeah. Hey, yeah, it's yeah. on the record. It's uh, legally binding. <laughs> we haven't mentioned that this was written by Maxine Alderton, by the way. Oh, yes, who also wrote Village of the Angel. She also wrote three episodes of The Worst Witch, whatever that is, and 124 episodes of Emmerdale. Oh, wow. Yeah, 124. That's according to IMDb. Emmerdale is like three times a week. Yeah, that's true. She wrote... She wrote a month's worth of Emmerdale. But, <laughs> but in, in general, that's that's a crazy amount. That's a, yeah. I'm sure they have a right. Soaps must just have writer's rooms. Surely. Probably. They should. The actors can do it in their sleep. That's, this is not to take away from being credited on 124 episodes. My goodness. Yeah. She knows how to take established characters and run with them. Yeah. Let's talk companions. We talked Yaz. All right. And I have intimated that Ryan has pretty much nothing to do and what he is given to do he probably shouldn't be given to do (laughs) graham graham is the best hey can graham just stay on the show for a little while longer i think he's fantastic i've enjoyed graham since the very beginning i think even when yes even when we were saying like oh hang on maybe he should just will fit because we have too many companions and the logical thing is to have him stay at home and he's like the base of operations every now and then they return to him you did say that at one point yeah fuck it screw past me that dude wasn't right we should just have graham all the time can you imagine him playing off against tenant yeah it'd be good It'd be so good. I mean, It'd be fantastic. And Wilf would be there as well. Almost like Graham's dad. Those two, Graham and Wilf 
would have. Oh my god! I can picture it. And oh, I've just finished my triple Negroni. Otherwise, I'd pour one out. But I bet those two would have great chemistry. Yeah, Walsh and Cribbins. Oh, oh my goodness! Yeah, my heart is warmed just thinking of the possibility. Can you imagine <laughs> the stories they would have? The bands they would have, and Doc is in the background just rolling his eyes, going, oh my god, can I not just have some young companion for a change? Can I get a word in edgeways? I'm only here for three episodes. (laughs) (laughs) I would watch that in a heartbeat. Mm. Yeah. Well, you know what the solution is, is to get him involved with Big Finish. Get him involved with any number of doctors. He could be the companion of... Of everyone. Yeah, five, six, seven, four. Four, we need to make use of Tom Baker. He's so old. He's Wilf's age. Bradley Walsh, as we just said, the perfect foil. Yeah, Tom Baker's thinking, oh, can I please travel with a young person again? Bradley, (laughs) come over here. (laughs) Well, that'd be interesting because he'd be playing much younger than Bradley. That's true. He could do it. That would be a a star. Tom Baker's, yeah, unstoppable. (laughs) There's a lovely bit of Graham in this when he's walking around the house, and it's some of the first scenes of the house turning into a labyrinth. Yes. Turning into a trap. There's one scene in particular, actually, where he's just walking up a staircase, and they've just, they've locked the camera down, and they've cut. There's someone standing in the back. There's one of the ghosts, I think. Yeah, illuminated by the lightning flashes. Yeah, and then he walks around, and boom, the ghost lady cuts out and he walks around and goes wasn't i just here a moment ago yeah yeah, yeah. solid stuff i did really like all that messing around with the house even though it's a perception filter it was used in a fun way i thought that when percy shelley was revealed as behind it and in what ways how he was invisible and he smashed the vase yeah and it's really clever was behind a lot of the goings on that the phantoms appearing in doorways yes i really did enjoy that way more than all the other terrible perception filter explanations we've had in the past totally agree completely agree one of the best uses of it however there is (laughs) jody whittaker running off screen off the right hand edge behind a curtain and then coming back like two seconds later in the other direction as if (laughs) that's just her running off screen turning around and running back (laughs) yeah no one is fooled by that what i would have liked would would have been to a scene of her emerging through the back of her own head like at some point she has to double back on herself and 180 degrees through some invisible dimension and just yeah be like oh so that that's why i've fa- got a headache oh i can imagine the visual that would be f- spectacular that's a great idea <laughs> yeah. yeah the lack of that scene notwithstanding uh-huh. the perception filter in general is very clever mm-hmm. it's really well done i like almost every single scene where they overcome it Oh, where they figure it out together. Exactly. Where they're just, they're holding out their hand. We get a scene of, is it Mary, I think, possibly, is just sort of reaching out. Oh, and she finds the doorknob in thin air. She finds the doorknob and then, and we just see her clutching nothing. Yeah, but we get the sound effect. Yeah. And it's convincing. And then cut to a shot from behind her and she's opening a door and Mm, it's perfect. It's really, really nicely done. The only scene that springs to mind where it doesn't really work for me, where it's maybe a little bit too tacky, is when Doc has opened the door, the front door, it's beautiful, and then she walks into a wall. Oh, she completely face plants. Yeah. Yes. 
that's only the that's possibly the only cheesy element of it. See, I liked that because it compared favorably to in Orphan Fifty Five, where it made completely zero sense and was just a cheap gag. And here, okay, it's a cheap gag, but it's set up so much better in that she's just opened the door. She doesn't expect a wall to be there. That's true. That is true. Yeah, and and also I think she sells it better. It's over quicker. Yeah. She's not rubbing her head and Graham's going like, oh, oh no, what's that? Oh dear, don't I look a pillock? <laughs> she just, it's like, bam. You see the her scene mate's reaction shot. Ooh, that's got a hoit. And then, and then we're on to something else. So I think it was put together well in that way. I agree. And the final clever thing about the perception filter is how Polidori is immune to it when he's asleep. And that's how the doctor figures out that it's a perception filter. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's... Everything about the perception filter, frankly, is clever. Normally, when we have a perception filter, there's some technological gizmo behind it. But here, it's the character we expect it to be in collaboration with the MacGuffin only to save the day and he can't even take credit for it. It's... It's way more thought through than we normally see the situation. It's not just a sci-fi hand wave to be a rule bender, rule breaker, whatever. It's not the weakest point of the episode, which a perception filter typically is. Yeah, agreed. And like you say, the way they go about solving that mystery, Polidori's evidence clue included. It's just, oh, this is how you do it. Can I jump into one of my very, very last remaining introductory questions Absolutely. as we approach the end of this review? If I go home not having answered all six, then I have been remiss. I wonder if this question has already been answered by our conversation about the perception filter is why I'm bringing it up. And that is, couldn't Byron and the rest see the fam through the glass doors in the beginning? Because you remember Byron opens the doors. They're glass doors. He opens the doors and then they have, we basically have the beginning of Rocky Horror Show. They're like, (laughs) ah, it's raining. It's like, oh my goodness, I can't believe you're standing there. It's like, yeah, but doors are (laughs) see-through. This shouldn't be a surprise to either one of you. Mm. Are they subject to a perception filter? Maybe. Or is it just a little bit dumb? I think perhaps, yes, you have found a slight plot hole there. It doesn't change anything. I still love this. Freaking mm-hmm. love this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that, that is a real nitpick if there indeed is a nit there to pick. I only have one more thing to ask, which was, okay. did you get Smeagol vibes when Shelley was out wandering along the water's edge? And he was like, ooh, something shiny in the water. And you see the hand ooh, reach nice. down into the bed and pick up that object, like clasp around it. And of course it's going to look quite similar, but it just really redolent of that whole sequence. Nice. Yes, you're so right. This is ex- That's exactly the scene. That's exactly it. Well, other than that Smeagol kills his mate to then get hold of it. Oh, I didn't, but I am getting them now. <laughs> mm. Nice. Dude Meister. Yes. How about we try to rate this? Let's try to rate this. And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 la. Ratings. All right, Tron and Cheesecakes Podcast Land, welcome to the hour mini section of this podcast episode. Yes, that's right. It's me, it's Leon, and I lost the tip of finger on tip of nose game. So I'm going first, and not a bad thing, eh? Because I have a feeling that I have prepared far less than you, Andrew. Oh, not so. <laughs> 
All right, well, here goes then. I'm just stalling for time. I'm going to keep this incredibly short. So you may be stalling for time, but you're not getting that much of it. For once, I have so few qualms with the dark that I am simply going to leave her out of this mini. <laughs> She's good. Enough said. The companions do a pretty good job here. Graham in particular was enjoyable throughout, and Yaz got to make a first... Yeah, we talked about this. Did everyone hear that? A first reference to potentially viewing Doc in a slightly different light. Ryan, yeah, fine. Yeah, he gets to inspire Mary. It, companions are lovely. I feel bad for leaving Doc out of this. Doc was wonderful. She had a lot of very Doctor-like moments. Brava, Whitaker. Very few occasions during which I felt annoyed by her. Yeah, fine. Doc, companions, good stuff. Lone Cyberman, previously alluded to by Captain Overacting himself, is scary as balls. And best of all is the fact that he isn't vanquished at the end. That's pretty cool. That's a very nice touch. He's like a Chris Nolan take on the cyber reject. We didn't talk about this. He reminds me greatly of the cyber rejects that we very recently encountered in Doctor Who. In Classic Who. In Classic Who. In Revenge of the Cyberman? I can't remember. <laughs> Re-something of the Cyberman. Bing bong, future Leon here. That's right, it's Attack of the Cyberman. Bing bong. In which certain people have started to undergo the cyberification process. Yeah. For whatever reason, they are incompatible with the software slash hardware. And the Cybermen just go, fuck it, you're halfway through, we're now discarding you, you're going to be a slave. And so we have characters who have cyber arms or cyber legs or they have cyber minds but biological bodies. It's incredibly creepy. It's incredibly amazing. And this dude would have been one of them. Yeah. Because he is, I think we find out in a later episode with Ashad, he is... Something went wrong during the cyber process. He was just too angry. Is that what it is? No, I'm just well, guessing this- that's what it is based on... His disdain for interior furniture in this episode. <laughs> well, he certainly does say that something went wrong when he was in the process of being turned into a Cyberman. And that is why he is the way he is now. Not sure why that means that his helmet is broken and we see his face inside, yada, yada, yada. But it looks cool and I don't care. <laughs> he is, in my mind, a cyber reject. And that is very, very cool. Production value, very good. Obs- all ancillary characters, super well cast. Mostly doing a great job. Polidori is perhaps a tad on the theatrical side. Then again, he was probably off his nuts on Laudanum at the time. Even he looks the part, by the way. Seriously, Google all of these people. They found actors who look exactly like every single one of them. Yeah, it's yeah. incredibly well done. Byron obviously stands out as particularly charming, or rather not, more cock, less Smith. I need this man's wardrobe, by the way. Wow. And <laughs> nice reference to Ada Lovelace in, in, yes, in that context as well. Yes, we didn't yes, talk about yes. that. Greatest asset is the labyrinthine house to me. And all the creepiness. And fuck it, the entire episode is the greatest asset. The biggest flaw is never finding out what the hell the Siberium is, is even about. But you mentioned we might find out about that later on. However, I would submit we also do get the scene of Doc taking the Siberium into into herself only to immediately give it up, which is a little bit of a letdown. Main takeaway, you've never seen any Doctor Who ever and you insist on starting with the Whittaker era? No probs. Watch this one and get hooked straight away. It'll be all just as good as this. I promise. (laughs) I've given this a rating of possibly too high. Yeah? Yeah? Shit bananas. 4.3. Ah, that's not much too high. (laughs) Don't worry, don't worry. It's a little bit too high. Okay, right, gotcha. Go for it. 
As I said, this episode has a ton going on, especially the first half is a model of density and compression, dynamism, all the things I've already said. It's rich, it's enjoyable in every sense. The atmosphere, the pacing. I don't remember anything about the music in this episode, which is no bad thing because it must have fit. It wasn't not there and it wasn't overpowering. It wasn't taking me out of the moment. I was in every moment of this episode. So assuming it was there, well done. The second half, the typical Doctor Who explanation that deflates all the cool stuff they've been stringing us along with. It isn't actually that far below because it's well handled. Random bits I liked. Byron detests all gossip. As you can see, he loves nothing more (laughs) than what he's about to say and the theatricality of it and the experience of it. And someone says they're from somewhere much, much stranger. The North. Yes. Yes. Lovely. I don't feel like we've had that in a while, so it's nice every now and again. Also, I mentioned Abby was going to have a say. Abby and I both laughed at Polidori's, is it too late to consider another group? When they're (laughs) heading down into the cellar. Completely sells that line perfectly. (laughs) So good. However, Abby thought the second half was terrible. What? She thought it was badly copied from Lord of the Rings and Heroes, and she did say it's always either Cybermen or Daleks, which is unfair. Yeah, this is a very different Cyberman as well. Yeah, it's unfair because sometimes it's Cybermen and Daleks. (laughs) 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 The companions, I think, only slip through the net of our criticism because they all have equally little to do. They all have a beat, but that's it. I think perhaps their time could have been more fruitfully applied to some of this great literary circle who, as we've said, have been somewhat underserved, maybe all of them in their own ways. Why did Byron get to end with his variant on the dead parrot sketch? The world was an ex-planet. The sea was pushing up the daisies. The flowers had ceased to be. (laughs) All of that. (laughs) It is a bit weird how Mary Shelley isn't given slightly more centrality, but... That scene with her and the lone Cyberman is a good one and worthy of its place. And also, he is so chilling. He is nailing it from minute one. I really like him at this point. I don't know how I'll feel about him two episodes from now, but right now, I can't wait to go head-to-head with this guy. My anticipation is off the charts. Oh, I did make a note about charts. The Doc Sonic was unable to detect the Siberian because it was too big to register. That's just another way of saying its readings were off the charts. So, yeah. <sighs> but, but, I can't pick so many nits to come so far underneath you. I'm giving this a 4.2. Ooh, 4.2. Here's my friend who agrees with me. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Patrick Cocaine played a shad, by the way. Nice job, Patrick. Who's Patrick Cocaine? <laughs> <laughs> this love is now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250, or it would get out of hand. Here's first. My first up, it's Kieran Evans. What up, Kieran? What's up, Kieran? Kieran begins. Hi, folks. There's nothing to be afraid of. Well. So, Big Finish have already done a story where the Doctor meets Mary Shelley and inspires Frankenstein, and another one where they met Cybermen in late 19th century Vienna. Shelley's from 1816, of course. Not saying they took the idea from Big Finish. Okay. Sounds like you are. (laughs) (laughs) 
just putting that idea on a plate labelled from Big Finish. Okay, Kieran. Of all the Doctor Who villains, the Cybermen are the most like Frankenstein's monster. And we should talk about our lone Cyberman. An emotional Cyberman is somewhat of an oxymoron, but it works here. Deranged, half-complete, relentlessly searching for the key to the future. He's quite effective as a villain, though I suppose we will get more of him next time. Fairly brutal dispatching the valet and the maid, which I suppose fits with the horror theme of this one. Probably should have been a Halloween episode and not, check's notes, 16th of February 2020. Sigh, it's been a long three years. Anyway, continues Kieran, creepy ghost house is fairly well done. The valet is quite funny with his eye rolling at Byron and co, and the spatial maze is done well. Lord Byron is an arsehole. Yeah, I think that's fairly accurate, to be fair. And God, that other guy looks a lot like Ed Miliband. Like a lot. I can't unsee it. <laughs> that's a steel you're talking about. <laughs> I kind of see it now. Yeah, this is well done, Kieran. <laughs> The Twelfth Doctor once said, Sometimes the only choices you have are bad ones, but you still have to choose, which describes the ending to this one. Good atmosphere, creepy villain, but for some reason I didn't quite fully engage with it. So, Kieran gives this 3.7 out of 5 T1000 worms. Okay. Thank you very much, Kieran. Thank you very, very much, Kieran. Kieran can be found online, you know. He's not just a Doctor Who reviewer. (laughs) <laughs> He's a real person with feelings and tweets. Where can we find them? Well, you can find Kieran exactly where you would also find ecologically sound mass transportation vehicles for hire. Head on over to KJ Evans 2. For all your Evan needs. Thank you very much, Kieran. Who's next? Why it's Michael Ridgeway. Ridgeway. Hello, Michael. Love you, Michael. Michael begins with a series of likes. Number one, the stormy, eerie claustrophobia. This story oozes with dread, akin to the gothic horror of 1970s who... Next like, a genuinely scary and threatening cybervillain who actually wins bleak stuff. Ashad is a mean ass... Loved the Frankenstein's monster homage. Take that, so-called Nightmare in Silver. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Next, like a cheeky moral conundrum bringing out the Doctor's dictatorial qualities. And last, like a bunch of ghosties from the others thrown in for the hell of it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Are there only likes or are there also... Indeed, first beef is what was the Siberian's motivation? Why did it bugger off in the first place? Yeah, well, it watched this space apparently, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> and second and last beef. Maybe the writers should have had Mary Shelley make more of a breakthrough when appealing to Ashad's remaining humanity rather than him being an out-and-out baddie. After all, Frankenstein's monster was misunderstood and pretty nice to a bunch of people, like the blind guy and that kid whom he then drowned. But that was an accident. Aw, poor misunderstood monster. Michael gives this a rating of 4.3 out of 5 servant vacancies at Villa Diodati for immediate start. Duties may include being hurled across the room, breaking every bone (laughs) in your body, and or hiding in a box until a monster finds you and snaps your neck like a chicken. (laughs) (laughs) Benefits include three meals a day and funeral costs. Amazing. (laughs) 
<laughs> Utterly amazing. Oh, Michael! I didn't think it was possible to love you more. Michael, my goodness, are you big? People who are not Michael should absolutely head on over to at bad underscore movie underscore club. You can love him day to day. <laughs> Surely that can't be it for Doctor Who, though. That can't be it for Doctor Who, and stop calling me Shelley. Mary, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) What's up next in the classic channel? I'm so glad you asked, because I don't know what the next new one is. The next classic is Paradise Towers, which I'm super-duper looking forward to, in large part because I want to know how much of it Jim remembers from his childhood. Oh, has he been teasing this? Yes. Since he joined, I mean, he probably. has also been teasing that he doesn't remember any of it. But I'm sure that rewatching it will trigger a few synapses in his yeah. mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This will be good. That's going to be fun to see. Absolutely. Next in the New Who channel, we have Ascension of the Cybermen. Right. Two cybers in a row. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> What's new in audio? Well, it's going to be Doctor Who, colon, the punctuation, redacted. Just as soon as we find a spare half a week. That's right. And in bonus who territory, do you know? No. I don't either. In the meantime, though, I'm sure that people can get in touch with us in some way, right? Yeah, you might see me tweet once a month or so at Drew Back When. Yeah, that is some top-notch branding. Why, thank you, Tasman. <laughs> And what about you? Are you also found online? Ooh, uh, you better believe it. Hold on to your britches, my dears, because I can be found at Punk and P-O-N, wait for it, K-E-N. That's right. I don't know what just happened, but uh, you better believe I loved every bit of it. Oh, I detest accents. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, Podcast Land. You've been a lovely audience. Until the next time, rock on and bye-bye. Be around next time to each other and, yeah, cha-chao. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends. But I've got no friends. No problemo. Tell some strangers. Hey. Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash whobackwhen. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at whobackwhen. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit. Listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha ciao. Who back when?